Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our Bible reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 1. You you might want to grab a Bible to follow along. Before I read, let me pray. Father, we pray that you would give us humble hearts that long to know you better. As we look at your word now, please change us by your spirit to be increasingly the people you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With our wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Before we dive into this glorious reading from Ephesians 1, I want to begin with a question. When are we tempted to wonder if it's worth being a Christian? Maybe it's hard circumstances, a lost job, lost health, a a lost relationship, a lost dream of how we longed our lives would turn out. Or in this pandemic, a recent study has found that the number of people experiencing symptoms of depression in this country over the last few months is double compared to what it was this time last year. And being a Christian doesn't make us immune. Maybe that's our story of these last few months. 
Maybe it's because there are so few Christians in this country, two or three percent of the population. It's hard to be the only Christian in our class or in our office. To hold to Christian values means we'll be seen as out of touch, out of date, the wrong side of history. Or maybe it's just that the alternatives look better. We're told that following Jesus is a good thing, and yet people who don't often look happier, free to enjoy whatever they want, whenever they want, with whomever they want. As we begin our series in Ephesians, the author of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, he certainly had good reason to wonder if it was worth being a Christian. Uh, We discover in chapter 4 that Paul writes from prison because he's a Christian. Perhaps our own experience of lockdown might give us a, a fresh appreciation of how hard prison must have been for Paul. Cut off from friends and family. Unable to go out and enjoy freedom. No control of his future. Perhaps even fearing for his life. We'd forgive Paul for wondering if he had made a terrible mistake in following Jesus. And in verse 1, we see that Paul is writing to Christians in Ephesus. Ephesus was a, a city dominated by the worship of the goddess Artemis. In fact, in Acts 19, when Paul visited Ephesus and preached about the one true God, he started a riot. Uh, For two hours, the crowds shouted back, great is Artemis, in defiance of Paul and his teaching about Christ. Uh, To be a Christian in emphasis would not have been easy. A a tiny movement on the margins of society, the little church gatherings dwarfed by the mighty temples to Artemis. Uh, We'd forgive the Ephesians for wondering if they had made a terrible mistake in following Jesus. Well, in our reading in Ephesians 1, Paul writes with glorious news to warm the hearts of every Christian. And if we are new to Christian things, uh, just dipping in, uh, we'll be seeing some great reasons why it is well worth choosing to trust in Jesus. So, why is it worth being a Christian? Two points. Here's the first. History is centered on Christ. Verses 3 to 14 are already one big long sentence. And in this sentence, it's as if Paul gets out a map of eternity and he, and he spreads it out on the table in front of us. Over here, it's eternity in the past before time began, and, and over here it's eternity in the future after Christ's return. And on this map of eternity, God is at work. Verse 3, God chooses. In verse 5, God has a will that is being progressed. In verse 11, God has a, a purpose that he is working out on the, the canvas of eternity. The, the sweep of history is not random or rudderless. And that the central character that dominates every stage of eternity, past, present, and future, the one who is acting and bringing about God's will in history, 
It's the Lord Jesus. Eleven times in these verses, Christ is mentioned directly or indirectly. He, he is everywhere. He is the main actor. Our Bibles don't do bold text, but if they did, the part of this big, long sentence that would be in bold, the big idea that the climax of where history is heading, well, it gets introduced in verse 9. He, God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. What is this plan that dominates history? Well, like an artist pulling off the veil to reveal some masterpiece. Here, God has pulled back and revealed to Paul the mystery of his will, once hidden, but now made known. Verse 10, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Growing up, my brothers and I used to enjoy messing around with a ball in the back garden. I, I remember one evening we were trying to kick the rugby ball up and over the, the apple tree. And one of us, no need to mention names, one of us kicked the rugby ball up over and smash into the kitchen window. There's a terrible crash, glass went flying everywhere, and there was that horrible pause. Oh no, what have we done? And of course, the thing about broken glass is that nothing can be done. No amount of glue or tape or cling film or pretending could hide what had happened. In many ways, our world is like that window, broken apart. A broken relationship with God through our sin and rebellion. Broken relationships with our fellow humans. It's heartbreaking to see, again, the deep racial prejudice that still remains in our world. Or the boatloads of people crossing the channel, often fleeing wars and famines. There is a deep brokenness within humanity and alienation. But God's plan is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. To tear down the dividing walls of hostility and undo the alienation. How? Under Christ. Indeed, we'll see in Ephesians that it is only in Christ that our broken world can be knit back together again. History is centered on Christ. I am reliably informed this week that uh, there's a statue of the great Artemis of the Ephesians down in the British Museum in London. Uh, the thing is, this statue is only six inches tall. It's stored in a display cabinet along with dozens of other statues in a room filled with hundreds more, in a museum filled with thousands more. You could go and spend days walking around the British Museum and miss the great Artemis altogether. Gods come and gods go, but history is centered on Christ. And when the times have reached their fulfillment, that is when Jesus returns, then we will see the fullness of this glorious truth. 
For Paul, stuck in a Roman prison, or the Ephesian Christians, feeling very small, what an encouragement to know that history is centered on Christ. And for us today, gods come and gods go. The gods of materialism or individualism or the god of intolerant liberalism or whatever comes next. At times, we might feel part of something very small, especially if we're sat at home on our own watching from our sofa today. But like an artist pulling back the veil on his masterpiece, God is showing us what history is really about. Take heart. History is centered on Christ. But there is another reason why it's worth trusting in Christ. Here's our second point. Our blessings are certain in Christ. Look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. These are wonderful words. Christians are blessed in Christ. To be in Christ means that we have been joined to him, at lashed together with an unbreakable bond. It's like we've been promoted to his team. We share in his victories and enjoy his blessings. But is there a catch? Paul says that we are blessed in the heavenly realms with a spiritual blessing. But do these blessings feel a bit like monopoly money? Nice to have, but worthless in real life? Wouldn't it be better if Paul said we're blessed in the earthly realms with, with, with every physical blessing, with health, wealth, and prosperity? After all, these kinds of blessings are, are much more obvious, much more immediate. Not for Paul. D- despite his chains, Paul is overjoyed by these spiritual blessings. Did you notice how often he praises God, verse 3 and, and then verse 6, and again in verse 12, and, and finally at the end, verse 14? How can a guy in prison fearing for his life, be so thankful? Well, Paul goes on to explain what he means by spiritual blessings. As Paul surveys this map of eternity, in the past he sees that we were chosen. Look at verse four. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. At my school growing up, Friday lunchtimes were big moments because that was when the sports teams for that weekend got nailed up on the notice board. I remember running up every Friday desperate to see my name on the list. Sometimes it was, and being chosen felt amazing. It gave me a sense of worth, of belonging. But sometimes my name wasn't there, and I felt crushed. We long to be chosen. When someone organizes a party and and doesn't invite us, it hurts. 
When our manager picks us to head up the new project team, it feels great. And the stunning news of verse 4 is that the God of the universe, the God who flung the stars into space and created the mighty mountains and the roaring oceans, that God has chosen us. And he chose us before we were created, which means before we could do anything to earn his choice. No, God chose us in love. Or verse 6, God chose us according to his glorious grace, a free and undeserved gift. At times in life, we can feel lost and lonely, like some buoy cut loose from its anchor, drifting across a a big and scary ocean. But here in Ephesians 1, Christ has picked us up out of obscurity and placed us right in the center of God's plans. To be chosen means we are adopted into God's family. We are sons in that we all receive the blessings that a firstborn son would have received from his father. I wonder if some of us feel a little troubled by this language of God choosing and predestining. Does this mean that God is cruel, not choosing everyone? Or is God unjust? On what basis does he choose? These are big questions. I wish there was more time to tackle them properly now. It is important to remember that elsewhere in the Bible, it's very clear that God is not cruel or unjust. It's also important to let the Bible show us how to apply these truths. Uh, So uh, last Christmas, I got a new bread knife. Uh, You know you're getting middle-aged when you get properly excited about a bread knife. Now look, the bread knife is brilliant if I use it properly. Uh, the, The knife cuts our bread wonderfully. But imagine if I used that bread knife to try to cut down the tree in my back garden. It would be hopeless. Or indeed, if I used a chainsaw to cut my bread, there would be chaos. In a similar way, we need to use the great truths revealed in God's word in the way God intends us to use them. So the truth that God predestines people, it would be a misuse of that truth to say that we, we cannot offer God's gift of adoption to everyone. Indeed, Paul spent a huge part of his life traveling around the Mediterranean doing just that. Now, here in Ephesians 1, Paul's purpose in telling us that God elects, it is to bring Christians joy Whatever happens to us in this life, whether we end up in prison like Paul or marginalized like the Ephesians, even if we feel lost and lonely, God knows us. He loves us. God has us. In the past, we are chosen. Well, more quickly, in the present, we are redeemed. Verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. 
We don't use uh, the word redemption very often in, in common speech. I guess perhaps imagine the scenario where you, you park your car in town tomorrow to go shopping and you didn't happen to notice the, the double yellow lines that you parked the car on. You come back from the shops to discover that your car has been towed away and impounded. You get a phone call to say that if you want your car back, you need to redeem it by paying a redemption fee. Uh, that's the sense of the word here. On our own, we are held captive by our sin. The redemption fee that sets us free is the blood of Christ. And because that price has been paid, when we are confronted with our own moral brokenness, when we see that our sin is not confined to the past or even to a few present mistakes, but actually our sin is in us through and through, even then we need not fear. The blood of Christ covers every sin, past, present, and future. In Christ, we have been set free from the penalty and fear of sin. In the present, we are redeemed. In the future, we are heirs. Look at verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. A deposit is a down payment, a promise of what is to come. And if I can put it this way, if God's deposit to us now is the gift of the Holy Spirit, God himself living in us, well then how good must that final inheritance be? Paul is talking about the day when Jesus returns, a day when we finally see our Savior face to face, a day when our broken world is fully and finally made perfect. Gone will be the tears and trials of this present broken world and ahead of us will be forever with our God. And so here's our big second point. Our blessings are certain in Christ. We cannot see these blessings now with our human eyes. They are spiritual and in heaven. But when Christ returns and brings heaven to earth, the full weight and wonder of these blessings will be Touchable and visible will be welcomed in as much-loved sons, heirs to all of God's riches, free to enjoy God and his new creation forever. It is no mistake to trust in Jesus. History is centered on Christ, and our blessings are certain in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for revealing to us what you are doing in this world through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the great joy of being part of your people, caught up in your plans and blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Help us to go on rejoicing in all that we have in Christ. Amen.